Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. So we're picking back up with this theme of discipleship, and just kind of as a reminder, uh, we've said a disciple, a disciple is a learner, right? A learner is somebody who's a follower of a teacher. And discipleship is the process of devoting yourself to becoming like the one teaching you. Now, you have an individual responsibility, but, but we as a gathered group of disciples, church, have a corporate responsibility to disciple others. That's where we're picking up in this series. What is the church's responsibility? The, the scriptures give us certain expectations of being a gathered group of disciples of the church. I want to begin in Ephesians chapter 1. You have your Bibles, your phones, wherever you have that. It's going to be on the screen, but it's good if you can look at it as well. And I want to consider uh, this picture that Paul gives us Towards the end of Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 22, it says, God has, put, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head, head over all things for the benefit of the church. The word church there is ecclesia. I'll talk about that in a minute. Head over the church. And the church, the church is his body. It has been, it is made full and complete by Christ, Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, Paul's letter that he wrote to the Ephesian disciples is, is rich theology and especially so in the first chapter. So there's a lot packed in here, but I, I simply this morning want you to get this picture, this idea. Christ is the head, and the church is his body. It makes sense. Christ reigns, guiding, directing, ruling. So the head is in heaven, and the body is here on earth. We, the people belonging to God, Christians belonging to Christ, are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. Now, that phrase is not in Scripture, but the principle is. It's right here. Christ is the head, and we are the body. He is guiding and directing. And doing His work through us. So the church is not some building where the clergy run a program and you come to the building once a week or twice a week or three times a week, how often it is. That is an idea. That idea really came from the time of the Roman emperor named Constantine in 313 A.D. with the Edict of Milan. The Edict of Milan did a lot of good things. It also did some things 
putting some things in place that resulted in the church doing some things it really didn't have any business doing. One good thing that came out of it is that it removed Christianity from the illegal list of religions. Up until that time, Christianity had been illegal in Rome, in the Roman Empire. It was not a recognized religion. It could be persecuted. So it changed the status of Christians and they became uh, treated more benevolent, benevolently because of that by the empire. However, by 380 A.D., I did the math this morning. I hadn't thought about that, but I was thinking about it this morning. I did the math. That's 67 years. Didn't take long. By 380 A.D., Christianity became the preferred religion. It went from being an outlawed religion to being the preferred religion in the Roman Empire. When Emperor Theodosius I issued the Edict of Thessalonica. And if you're a student of history, you'll know that from there things began to fall apart, resulting in the church becoming institutionalized in a way that never really was intended to be and really did not benefit the kingdom of God. Now, the primary Greek word translated church in your English translation, the, the Bibles that you're carrying around, the one that we're projecting, the word church in English comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the ones called out. The ones called out. Could be translated the assemble, the, the ones who have been assembled from being called out. It is a body of people, a group of people, doing God's mission to the benefit of his kingdom. The ones called out of, from the world and into the mission of God. Now, Jesus prayed about this group, for this group. John records it in his gospel, the 17th chapter, beginning in verse 14, where he says, I have given, he's talking to the, praying to the Father, I have given them, talking about this group of disciples, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. We're called out from the world, but we're not taken out of the world. Verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do, so make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself, we just celebrated this, we just recall this. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. I give myself, my life, my whole being as a sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. So here's this idea. We are called out of the world into the body of Christ only to be sent then back into the world on mission for God. And our mission is while we are in this world, even though we're not being of this world. 
Now, verse 18 is the core of the Christian mission. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So the idea here is that Jesus, the people of Jesus are a sent people. And as we go, and I'm going to be talking about that, as we go, what do we bring? Well, we bring, we bring good news. Good news, verse 19. Jesus gave himself as a holy sacrifice so that we can be made holy. So that we can be reconciled with God. So that we can be reconciled with one another. So I've told you before, the church, church is not some destination point you come to. Even though we talk that way, it's not. Church is meant to be a vehicle to send people out into the neighborhoods and the nations. So being, being the church is what being the church is reaching into the neighborhoods and sending people cross-culturally to the nations. Which makes us stop and ask the question: what does the neighborhood look like? If you're here, if you're here in the mornings, uh, our our building facilitator guy, Kiernan, comes in and sometimes he'll sing, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. What's the neighborhood look like? Who lives in Lubbock? Who lives in our community? You know, uh, research shows the vast majority of people will drive up to 20 minutes to gather with the church. Can't some drive further? <laughs> But, but most people are willing to drive up to 20 minutes. You sit down with a map of Lubbock, and you get to looking at that. By the way, if you haven't looked at a more recent map of Lubbock, instead of being on the southwest edge of Lubbock, we are in the center of Lubbock. <laughs> and pretty much anywhere in that vicinity is 15 to 20 minutes to get here. Approximately 320,000 people live within 20 minutes of, of, of where we gather. The ethnicity of our neighborhood is changing, which means we should be changing. Because we, we as we've just saying, we, we, we love all because our Savior loves all. Many, there are many, I'm picking up on this, there are many retirees moving to Lubbock. But if you'll keep your eyes open and look around, you'll also realize there are a lot of young adults moving to Lubbock and staying in Lubbock, having families in Lubbock, and the fastest growing generation in Lubbock is Gen Z. It's our kids. And there's more to this as we go. Matthew records Jesus saying these words that where we pulled the song from earlier this morning. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest command. The second is equally important. Love your neighbors as yourself. In fact, the entire law, all the demands of the prophets are all based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. 
So Jesus calls us to be truthful messengers and loving neighbors. We probably could flip that around because uh, it's really important that we are loving neighbors before we are truthful messengers. Now Luke records in his gospel, Jesus explaining the cost of following him and, and, and the why we should follow him and what it means to follow him at the end of chapter 9. But at the beginning of chapter 10, Luke 10, Jesus shows that his followers are messengers. He tells them, pray, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Steve did a good job this morning reminding us who's in charge of the harvest, who's in charge of the rain. And so often we have a plan and we ask God to bring our plan to fruition. And I think we often, if we listen, we hear God saying, I have a plan. Work with me. And this is what Jesus asked us to pray. Pray to the Lord of harvest. God, you have a plan. And the harvest is, is ripe. Send more workers into your field. But here's the thing we tend not to connect to this. Verse 3. <laughs> the first two words. Now go. Now go. It's parents gathering their children. Okay, Saturday morning, here's what we're going to accomplish today. Da-da-da-da-da. One, two, three. Now go. It's a it's a somebody who's managing a farm who gets the employees together and says, "Here's what we're doing today. Now go. Now go." So Jesus talks to his disciples and says, "Here's what God is doing in our world. Now go." And as we go, we are both messengers and neighbors. Now back to the picture where Paul shows Jesus as the head and we are the body, the hands, the feet of Jesus. In, in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, in verse 15, Paul reminds the disciples, instead, instead, be sure to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is, after all, the head of the body. The church, the ecclesia, the gathering. So as we go, what are we bringing? We bring truth. We bring truth as messengers. It's, it's important for us to be truthful about the truth of the good news. And church, here's the good news. We are given God's grace. And then we're expected to share this grace with others through the good news message. We should give everybody the opportunity to hear it, to believe it, to follow him. And as we go, we show love as neighbors. We don't just tell people the truth. We don't just say, hey, I got some truth to lay on you. Here you go. We tell the truth in love because that's the way God told us. God could have said, I'm setting up, thanks for the new speakers, I'm setting up a new speaker system, I'm going to blast it to the whole world, and I'm going to tell you who I am and what I'm doing, but he didn't. He came. He 
came in flesh. And he loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we're to be more and more like him. So as we go, we show love as neighbors, telling them the truth in love. We tend to lean one way or the other. We tend to lean, you know, some on this way and some this way. Some of us lean more on the loving side, and some of us want to lean more on the truth side. We're supposed to be both. And it's a balance. It is. It's a balance. It's, uh, go back to Kent's message, it's staying out of the ditch. You and I need to be careful. We as a corporate church need to be careful that we stay out of the ditches, okay? We need to be in the middle. We, we, we share both truth and love, love and truth. We are to make disciples with love and truth. Now, and I'll remind you, we, covered, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to remind you of another picture of what it means to make a disciple. Jesus left us with that picture, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. But I want you to note, particularly this morning, that there are five action words in that passage. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Next slide. And notice these action words. Some came, Jesus came to his, and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, I underline them, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go is that first one, which is talking about crossing boundaries. The song we sang earlier talks about crossing lines. Same thing. Go. Literally, it is having gone. Having gone. We phrase it as you go because it is part of your life. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6 is that famous saying where it talks to parents about uh, raise your children up. To know the Lord. How are we going to do that? To know these commandments. How are we going to do that? He said, well, you're going to talk about them while you sit and while you stand and while you're walking along the path. What is, what, okay, well, what about the rest? What about watching TV? You know, uh, so those aren't just three places to, to do it. He's, it's a way of saying it's your whole life. As you live your life, as you live your life, whether you're working or whether you're playing or whether you're on vacation or whether it's a holiday or whether it's, it's a hard day, whether it's raining all day or, or it's 100 degrees all day, as you live your life, cross boundaries. And then the word make. And the word make here is a word that's talking about forming something, making something. We, we are all being formed we are a work in progress. It's happening every day. None of us arrive spiritually on our own. It takes the work of God in our lives. And God doesn't take a day off. He's working on us every day. And so the church, I'm going to read this and I'm going to come back and read it again slowly. So the church is a family of people in progress, 
working together as God shapes us. The church is a family of people in progress, working together as God shapes us. That's who we are. If you wonder, who are we as a church family? That's who we are. A family of people in progress, working together as God shapes us. God making something of us. Some of us are further along than others of us. So there may be different expectations of us. But we're all in this process. We're all in this family. The third word is baptize. I, I, love, I love to see dads get up here and baptize their children. I'm glad we do that. Uh, and a lot of times, dads are nervous. And sometimes they, uh, they don't know which way they're facing. Sometimes they don't know which way to face the kid. Uh, and they, sometimes they ask questions. You know, and, and I tell them, you look, really, don't, just, just immerse them. Immerse them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, which is not a formula. It's not an incantation. It's not that you've got to get the words all right or it doesn't work. Then why, why, why say it? Because it says something about who God is and something about who we are. It says something, it talks about the Father's love and it talks about the, the Son's sacrifice and it talks about the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And those are all important when someone is being baptized into Christ, into the body of Christ. And then the word teach, which is literally keep on teaching. Faith is a lifelong process. Always learning. The church has a corporate responsibility to keep on teaching the scriptures. Why don't we just quit that? Because that is part of who we are and what we're about. And you may say, well, I don't really need that. I have a university degree in Bible. I really don't need any more teaching. I remember that point in life and thinking that. And then at first year in ministry taught me that's not true. Because you have not been completely formed by the scriptures yet. It is a lifelong process. Wherever you are in it, whether you're in the kindergarten class or whether you're in the friendship class, you're in this lifelong process. Always learning, always growing, always becoming more like Jesus. And then the last thing he says, be sure of this, or the word remember. Be sure of this. Remember, God is with you. God is with you through it all. On the days when you can't see him, on the days when you can't feel him, on the days when it doesn't look like God's involved in this, he's still with you. He is there. On the day that his son hung on a cross and it looked like God wasn't there, he was. And the same is true in our lives. And the promise to us that on the peaks and in the valleys, on the mountaintops and in the marketplaces, in triumphs and in tragedies, God never, ever leaves you. 
So the church, this group of disciples, is designed by God Lisa and I were out around town yesterday, and we ended up over at the Canyon Lakes. You ever been out there? And we, we, we walked around a little bit, and we ran, walked across this trestle bridge, and there's a little sign there. It's called the Austin Brothers Bridge. And I wondered, what's that about? So I read it. That bridge has been there since 1913. 1913. It was built out of steel, and it was, it was designed by the Austin Brothers Company, and it was built there to cross over Yellow House Canyon between Abernathy and Lubbock. And it was used until I think they quit using it around 1960, and then they restored it in 1974 and made it it's more of a walking bridge right now. God designed the church the way the Austin brothers designed the bridge to cross over boundaries, to cross over lines, to cross over hindrances, to cross over... Were you ever disappointed when you, when you, when you come to the, like the end of Texas and it comes to Oklahoma? There are signs. There are signs. But, I mean, as a kid... Were you disappointed that there weren't dash lines? I mean, where exactly is that? It's on the map. So not everything is as prevalent as, as the Yellow House Canyon, maybe the Red River Valley or whatever it may be. Some of them we see, but some of them we don't see. Some of them is just li no lines in the sand, but, but sure enough, you, you cross over from, from this into that, and I want us to... I want this to settle in our minds that God designed us to cross every boundary between nations, between people groups. Think about what God is doing in our lives. That's the way he's designed us as a corporate body. That's why we're here. Missionaries cross boundaries to take the story of Jesus into other geographical places. But here's the truth, folks. Your neighborhood has boundaries. I was going to take a picture by... My, my late neighbor across the street, uh, I mean, he made it evident. He made it evident because he went and dug a hole and poured some cement. There is a boundary. Your grass is on that side, and my good grass is on this side. <laughs> and I got that same boundary on my side of the street, too. It just doesn't, there's no cement, uh, but it's still there, Right? Property lines, whatever you want to call them. Your neighborhood has boundaries. There are international boundaries. There are language boundaries. I have a, I have a, a Korean neighbor across the street, and, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a boundary. Some of them speak pretty well. Some of them, English I'm talking about. I don't speak Korean other than kimchi at all. I, that's all I can say in it. So there are language boundaries. There are socioeconomic boundaries. There are ethnic, ethnic boundaries. There are cultural boundaries. Here is the call of Christ to his body. Cross them. Cross the boundaries with love. And share the true message. 
of Jesus and his love. The great commandment reminds us to love our neighbors. The greatest commission reminds us to make disciples of all nations. And then there's this one verse we tend not to pay much attention to. Matthew 24, verse 14, that says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached, proclaimed throughout the whole world, so that all nations, all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. That is, somebody called it the great confidence. The church will go, the people will hear, and that's a promise. Jesus said it, and it reminds us that God is at work in our world. And if you care about his work, that you will work with him to complete the story. And I'm going to point out one final thing. I'm jumping all around, but I'm going to point out one final thing back in Matthew 28, verse 17. And that is doubt. Doubt. Doubt will either push you away from God or push you toward God. It can do both, but which, which will it be? When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. It would be easy to skip over this and let's just stand and sing. But I want to ask the question, what were they doubting? What were, they, were they doubting Jesus? Maybe. Were they doubting his command? Maybe. Were they doubting what the next step should be? Maybe. And it has, this has been debated. But I wonder. If they weren't doubting themselves. Just like you doubt yourself. Just like I doubt myself. Reaching the world? Making disciples? Doubt implies more hesitation than unbelief. Doubt will cause us to hesitate doing something. And doubt can cause us to hesitate in obeying the Great Commission. How did they deal with their doubt? Well, they took a workshop. They went to a class. They didn't say that. It says they worshipped him. They worshipped him in the midst of their doubt. And as a result, we know the story. Jesus came near. Worship through the doubt church and God will lead us to transform the world God you are my God and I will ever praise you even in the doubts and I'll follow you step by step we're going to sing that and praise him through our own doubt this morning we'll be here down front elder in the family room we can help you share with you pray with you We'd love to do that. Let's stand together and sing together. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on news and other events, visit southplains.org. 
We also extend special thanks to our countless volunteers who make all of our ministries possible. And remember, engage, lead, and celebrate others. Thank you.